And the choice right now is it can be a rural America that is about consolidation, depopulation, industrial-scale agriculture, or it can be a future that is about small and mid-sized farms proliferating, vibrant communities that engage people from all sorts of cultures and races and backgrounds, and that feed the population of the U.S. and beyond healthy food with integrity. That's a wild-eyed vision, maybe, and it goes against the grain of what we've had over the last few decades. But the change is coming, and we have the opportunity to help shape what that looks like. And I think the folks involved with LSP bring them together. I think they're going to have a powerful vision that we can get behind and help make real. Welcome to the 319th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Let's be honest. There's a lot of turmoil in farming these days, and it's having major impacts not only on rural communities, but the landscape itself, as well as the food system that supplies our supper tables. Volatile markets, unprecedented corporate consolidation, extreme weather brought on by climate change, and disrupted supply chains are just some of the problems plaguing agriculture. To top it off, Upheaval in Washington, D.C. has thrown a wrench into the future of the 2023 Farm Bill, casting doubt on how everything from conservation programs to crop insurance is implemented. I lived through the 1980s farm crisis, and sorry to say, the emotional and physical toll the current situation is taking on farmers is strikingly familiar. What can the Land Stewardship Project do at times like this? Scott Elkins actually sees greater opportunity than ever for an organization like LSP to have a positive impact. Scott took the helm as LSP's executive director in June 2023. The fact that he even applied for the job is an indication that Scott has a positive outlook and doesn't shy away from challenges. We celebrated our 40th anniversary in 2022, and to be frank, the past few years have been a bit chaotic, even by the standards of nonprofit grassroots organizations. Besides the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd just a few blocks from our Minneapolis office, the Land Stewardship Project has experienced significant turnover in staff positions, particularly when it comes to leadership. But from my viewpoint as a longtime staffer, I honestly feel LSP is emerging from the other side of this crazy couple of years more committed and prepared to doing the work needed to keep the land and people together. It may sound like a cliche, but adversity really does build strength especially when you're an organization like LSP that benefits from such a deep foundation of passionate, committed members. Just this year, we achieved major victories in state policy and local democracy, grew our beginning farmer and land transition work, and deepened our support of farmers who are adopting practices that build soil health. In addition, we've recently relaunched our community food systems program and are hard at work helping rural communities keep their wealth local. This makes it an interesting time for a new executive director to step in. Sure, we still have challenges, but opportunities for making a real difference are also at hand. Scott, who worked for LSP as an organizer back in the 1990s, has spent the past few months attending field days and meetings, talking to members and allies, 
and in general getting the lay of the current land stewardship project landscape. Scott recently took time from his busy schedule to talk to me about why he wanted to return to LSP and what role he sees the organization playing in building a better farm and food system, one that's characterized by what he calls integrity. Scott began our conversation by sharing a little of his personal and professional background and how he's always been drawn to groups that lift up the voices of their members. So I'm a Texan, the seventh generation Texan, moved up here for graduate school actually in 1990. Uh, My uh, grandparents and my parents engaged in some cattle ranching, but I grew up in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. When I moved up here, it was to pursue graduate work in social psychology, uh, but I got caught up in a bad crowd of uh, conservationists and uh, started doing uh, a lot of volunteer work around environmental protection and conservation. Moved out of graduate school with a master's degree and started pursuing that work, and I've been doing it for the past 35 years. I worked for Land Stewardship Project, I think it was 1995 to 1997, uh, part of a project that was really focused on slowing down urban incursion into rural areas and farmland, and really enjoyed and valued the experience, particularly because of Land Stewardship Project's focus on the farmer's voice and grassroots engagement in a really meaningful way. I think there are some organizations out there that see members and people who are connected with the work as uh, people who will do and act on the organization's direction. And I've always been much more attracted to organizations that actually try to lift up the voices of folks to shape the strategy and goals of the work that the organization's doing. And the way Land Stewardship Project has done since my prior involvement and through to today of uh, reaching out and engaging farmers in a meaningful way to shape the direction and the voice of the organization is what really attracts me to it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you, you, you pointed that out. That is something that's really been a focus. I know Ron Cruz and Victor Ray, who co-founded LSP, really, they were actually both former journalists, and I think that fed into that a little bit. But we have always uh, used storytelling and lifted up the voices of our members. And I think Members of LSP may think, well, that's what all groups that work in this area do, but other groups have their other strengths. But that's something that's really been something we've really, really focused on. Yeah, and it's something that has to continue. Uh, The voices of particularly small and mid-sized farmers and the challenges and the opportunities that they see are more important to get out than ever. Uh, I think about that particularly in a moment of climate threat in the world, And the way in which climate is going to shape farm policy and funding and all sorts of elements that are going to, I think, reshape agriculture, lifting up the voice in small and mid-sized farmers, both as folks who are building and creating solutions around climate and also trying to build up the resiliency of what agriculture and farming looks like in a quickly changing world. Those are things where I think LSP's voice and particularly the voice of small and mid-sized farmers is going to be particularly important in the coming years. Tell me a little bit about what you, when you left LSP in the late 90s, what have you been doing since? Yeah, I went and took a role, well, initially I was part of an entity that spun off of Land Stewardship Project called Thousand Friends of Minnesota that continued that work of stopping urban encroachment in the rural areas. After a couple of years, I moved on and took on a role as the state director for the Sierra Club in Minnesota. And after a few years in that role, moved into a national management role. 
my real commitment in that work was, like I've said earlier, really lifting up the voices of the folks who were most impacted in the communities where we were working so that those voices were driving the work of the Sierra Club as another grassroots-based organization in the world. I left Sierra Club in 2021 sort of put the wrap finished up put the bow on a piece of work I've been aiming for for about 15 years at that point and started thinking about what comes next for my professional work I looked around a lot did some self-exploration actually picked up a, a job doing uh, stable hand work at a uh, at an equine facility outside of the Twin Cities for about a year and a half and when the LSP opportunity came along it was something that immediately struck me both as the kind of organization where I wanted to be working and the kind of mission orientation that I really wanted to be focused on for myself as someone who worked for LSP in the past, then has gone on to see kind of the bigger movement at hand and and worked in that uh, extensively. As you come back to us, and we've just celebrated our 40th anniversary, what do you see as, uh, I would think maybe it's brought, allowed you, not to put words in your mouth, but allowed you to have, bring some fresh eyes into what relevancy an organization like ours has at this moment. I mean, it is a really key moment with climate change, with agriculture, with racial justice issues in rural areas and, and, and how that touches the food and farm system. What what relevancy do does LSP, you, you obviously think we are relevant or you wouldn't have applied for the job. <laughs> for me, I think there's really three key areas that both uh, attracted me to the opportunity within Land Stewardship Project and where I think the organization's voice is going to be really critical in the coming years. So I'll just go through those. One of those is the issue of food with integrity. When I look out at the world and the way in which dietary preferences are going and marketing and all sorts of things, I see a world where people feel increasingly, even over the past 25 years since I worked at LSP, more and more disconnected from the origins of their food to what's actually going into their mouths and what they're buying at the supermarket. So, you know, real basic way is, you know, what are Cheetos? (laughs) You know, they have some root in things that grow from the ground, but the real uh, product is an industrial product. It's something that is generated by food scientists to hit certain like cues in a person's brain that keeps them wanting to stick more of those things in their mouth. But the value add of that product and where the money is going to when a person buys that product is not in the hands of farmers. It's the hand of manufacturers and marketers and industrialists who have an agenda to get separate the consumer from as much money as they can and to separate the farmer from much, as much of the income as they possibly can. So I think LSP constituency will have a real intuitive sense of what food with integrity means, the other side of the coin. But for me, I think about the drivers in society, the systems that we have set up that are going to keep driving people more and more in the direction of the Cheeto side of the food economy. And what kind of voice can LSP and what kind of solutions can LSP and its farmers provide to help drive things in another direction? So that's one. And obviously, not a small issue. A second piece that feels very important to me is climate change. And 
I think farmers are experiencing, particularly you look back at this past summer, they're seeing the impacts of climate. I remember hearing a farmer speak at a forum on climate change over 20 years ago where they were talking about the time when they could plant moving forward, even at that point. Um, So farmers are seeing the impact of that. But what I believe is true is over the next five to 10 years, there is going to be a revolution in agricultural policy and funding that is going to be driven by the demands of climate change. Because ag accounts for, how you count it, 15 to 30% of climate-relevant emissions. And that means, if we're going to be serious about tackling climate, ag is going to be in line for some serious impacts. Now, my own sense is that corporate interests have a game plan. They know how they're going to address that, and they know how they're going to talk about addressing it at scale. And some of those solutions may have merit, and some of them may not. But if all we're thinking about is reducing climate emissions, and the voices that we're listening to are corporate voices, the carry-on impact of that is going to be increased consolidation and an increase of squeezing out small and mid-sized producers. What I feel is really important is the opportunity for an organization like LSP and the constituency that we're trying to give voice to to talk about the climate solutions that increase the number of small and mid-sized producers, that talk about climate solutions that actually push us away from consolidation and more towards regional food systems and innovative production strategies that don't give a gloss over of climate, but actually fundamentally get to the issues while also building up and restoring rural economies and rural culture. Yeah, and I think one of the areas that has, it really exemplifies that is, for example, our soil health work, it, it, where it is, and this term is overused too much, but it is appropriate here, is it's a win-win in that, because it, it's a lose-lose for farmers. They're being impacted by climate change negatively and they're being blamed partially for it so with the soil health work and and kind of it's almost a revolution i i hate to use that word again but it is there's just it's really got legs and and we're seeing a win-win situation where farmers can play a positive role in climate mitigation but then also there's that self-interest part of it they're able to make their own farms resilient Yeah, and there's two different ways that I think we can think about that. One is the practical side, the practice that farmers are engaging in, the innovation they're engaging in, and spreading word to one another and building those practices out, proving their impact for climate. And at the same time, you know, using those networks that LSP and other organizations have built out to start engaging farmers who are curious but haven't quite stepped into it yet. There's another side to it as well. I was visiting with farmers out in western Minnesota, and one was, you know, a person who's doing all the right things and engaging in all the practices. They've got a really innovative mindset, uh, utilizing the resources that are out there to do a lot of climate-friendly practices around soil health and grazing. And he talked to me about standing on the fence line with his the neighboring farm, which is doing row crops in a purely conventional way and thinking to himself about how that farmer is making more money and doing less work on a week-to-week basis than he's having to do. 
Doing the right thing should not be the uphill climb, right? right? And that comes to policy. And how are we shifting policy so that the farmers that are doing the right thing and being innovative, addressing climate, and also building up rural economies are the ones who are on the, the receiving end of the bulk of, uh, of federal and state subsidies and policies. How are we shifting that tenor around so instead of feeding off the scraps at the table, they're getting the lion's share of the resources? Because that serves the interests not only of climate, but also rural economies and rural communities. I think that, you know, we have to face up to the fact that we're living in a country where it's getting harder and harder to get important stuff done. And the farm bill is right in there with everything else as far as that goes. The thing that's really been frustrating to me working in progressive advocacy for the past 35 years is seeing the way that more and more issues that should cut across political divides are getting shoved into corners and getting caught between that chasm that's separating Democrat and Republican, populist, progressive, conservative, however you want to label those things. For me, that feels like a real tragedy. It's keeping us from doing good stuff no matter what side of the aisle you're sitting on. I think those divides are showing up in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways has to do with geography, you know, urban and rural split. And the way in which the Republican Party is sort of throwing in the towel on urban populations and vice versa with democratic politics. You know, I'm not so concerned about political party, but I am concerned about getting stuff done. And it feels to me like land stewardship project with a balanced membership of rural residents and farmers and urban folks who are interested in rural policy. We're an organization that's built not to fall into that uh, one of those camps or the other. I'm not saying there's an easy path or I've got all the answers, but if there's an organization that's built to bridge those divides, it feels like Land Stewardship Project could be it. And I would really love to explore those ideas with members and non-members who are interested in figuring out a way to bridge these political divides to do some good work around farm policy, around uh, rural culture and rural community and rural economies so that we can build a better world. So you really do see a urban-rural split right now, a, a, a divide between them? Oh, come on. On politics? I mean, it's not just rural-urban. There's all sorts of divides that are going on there. And we can't afford to allow that to continue. And i sorry to say there are a lot of interest groups out there that are happily allowing themselves to get pigeonholed in one camp or the other. I would like to avoid that. I'd like to find a way that we can build across those divides and be a voice for common sense around farm policy that benefits rural residents as well as the environment and serves all of our interests. I guess the first step is to get urban and suburban residents to give a damn about the farm bill or farm policy in general? How do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways we do it is actually give people a voice in farm policy. I think the farm policy conversations have been dominated by corporate interests for far too long. And I don't think that serves any of our well-being in the long term for the same reasons I talked about earlier around climate policy and food policy. How we start doing that, um, I think it's we make it relevant to folks. We talk about the impacts that it has on the choices that they have in the supermarket, 
the quality of the air and the water that flows through their communities. And, you know, tap a little bit into the, the mythos that people feel about rural America and the part it plays in our, in our national culture. I think the other thing we have to own up to is the need and the opportunity to talk about the way in which this entire country becomes a welcoming space for people from all sorts of different backgrounds. I mean, one of the reasons I love Minnesota is because of the way that we have a long history of involving and investing and welcoming people from a lot of different backgrounds, immigrant communities, Eastern African, Hmong, lots of others that have been coming into the state and finding a way to thrive and building community, both within their own community and then expanding into uh, other communities in Minnesota. I think that's a really good point. One thing that we've often argued, because we have been sometimes, folks have come to us and said, I'm not sure why LSP is involved with racial justice or with immigrant rights issues, or I'm not sure, I don't see the connection to promoting a more regenerative, sustainable form of agriculture. And we've argued that it truly will not be a sustainable or regenerative system unless it's sustainable and regenerative for everybody. One of the things that feels very important to me is we need to get more people out on the land working in the land. The small and mid-sized farming community has been on the receiving end of all sorts of pressures towards consolidation. If we're going to build healthy rural communities where there's a critical mass of folks that attract healthcare infrastructure, infrastructure for retail, and a vibrant community life, we've got to be opening up to all the different types of folks who are going to want to be a part of that economy. Black folks, brown folks, white folks, recognizing the way in which indigenous people have been sort of pushed out of some of that rural culture as well, in starting to think about what does it mean to be welcoming again? What does it mean to be opening up for growth and opportunity when some of the folks who are going to be moving in might have a different first language, might have a different set of cultural norms? I know some of rural Minnesota communities are experiencing this already, but figuring out the, the way to open up that opportunity for being a welcoming and inviting place where farms are proliferating, where farmers are proliferating, and where rural communities are starting to grow again. They're not going to grow in the way they looked 50 years ago. They're going to grow in the way that our country and our national population is moving. I think that's a really exciting opportunity. I'm excited about a lot of our work in land access and land legacy and what it means to start building opportunities for people to have an ownership stake in landscapes where in the past they didn't have the opportunity or maybe they didn't feel welcome. I'm really interested in ways that we can start building a sense of community and intention around that so our rural communities thrive and they start looking as diverse as they can. One thing I'm really seeing this in action is with the Farm Beginnings Program. That was, we're now past the quarter century mark with that program, and it had always been traditionally reflected Midwestern, white, (laughs) European-oriented farmers. The big thing was when it transitioned more into, uh, when it first started out, it was mostly farm kids who were taking the class. Now it's not the majority people taking the class don't have a farm background. They just have an interest in whatever you want to call it, ecological farming, uh, entrepreneurship. 
uh, regenerative ag, that kind of thing. But now the next step in recent years is we're seeing more and more people of color taking the farm beginnings class, and that's impacted how the class is taught as well. You sit in, th- in those classes or you talk to some of those people of color who, are, who have been taking it, their passion for farming is it's off the charts. And maybe they had a connection through grandparents, but maybe they didn't. They just have got that bug, and it's we got to take advantage of that, I think, in these rural communities. It has been such a joy to talk to some of the LSP staff who have been working the Beginning Farmers Program and the excitement that they're expressing about learning new ways to connect with folks and to build up those skills that folks are able to get out and start working on the land. I'm really excited to see that continue moving forward. And the critical next piece is those folks getting access to land where they can do the farming. And if they're going to do that successfully, they also need to be enmeshed in a community that is supportive and lifting up their efforts. That's where our land access and land legacy work comes in. And I think that's the work where a lot of our rural members and supporters can play a big part in thinking deliberately about what it means to open up their communities and open up their networks to folks who've got a different background culturally, who look different from them, who think and want to engage in innovative practices that are maybe a little outside the box. I think the opportunity there in terms of the innovation and growth and the potential of restoring rural communities is huge, and we've got to embrace it. I do think, I do go back a little bit to when we were seeing Farm Beginnings grads come out of that program who didn't come from a rural community even, didn't come from a farm background, but then were able to maybe get access to some land in a rural community. There was some, you know, some eye rolling like, oh, what are these, you know, hippies or whatever they wanted to call them coming in. But then we also saw some of these established farmers, retiring farmers, realize, oh my gosh, this is fresh blood for this community. This is really going to be really good, no matter if they have some crazy ideas. And I don't want to romanticize it too much, but we saw some really good connections made. And obviously the racial divide is much bigger, (laughs) but I I think there's a lot of opportunity there for them, some of these communities who are frankly dying. I mean, some of these main streets are dying to see some fresh blood come in. And yeah, it's not going to look like what it has looked like. Even the practices they use aren't the same, but the soil's the same, the climate's the same that these people are struggling with. So there's some, that's where we saw a lot of benefits was older farmers saying, well, this is the kind of soil I, this is kind of the way I've had to manage this soil. And these are the weather patterns I've had to deal with. So seeing those connections has been really huge. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the future was, as, as you said, if we can get over that barrier of land access uh, out there. Yeah, and I think that the point is the climate isn't the same anymore, well, right? Yeah, Things yeah. are changing a lot. And indigenous knowledge and the knowledge that folks from different parts of the world that are bringing in have the potential to really jumpstart innovation and to be thinking about how are we going to be dealing with more intense drought, more intense heat, more intense rain events, uh, and adopting our practices, both with current crops and future crops that could thrive in our state. I think a lot of LSP members and farmers out there will recognize and appreciate the idea that 
you know, diversity of practices is strength. Well, diversity of backgrounds and diversity of cultures and insights that are coming into the farming community are also a strength, one that we need now more than ever. So you've been here a couple months. You've been talk. I know you've been busy talking to farmers, talking to members, going to field days, going to events, talking to staff and our allies. Yeah, as, as you kind of look forward and after you've kind of gathered this information and you've been digesting it, I guess what is it that kind of excites you as far as what LSP could be working on, is working on in the near term and, and the long term? I'm just so proud to be associated with an organization with the track record of addressing and listening to and engaging on the issues that are most important to small and mid-sized farmers. It's exciting to be where, where I'm at today and to see the possibilities that sit in front of us. If there's one thing I had to point to, it is my firm belief that farm policy and funding streams are going to undergo a massive shift over the next five or ten years. And that shift is going to be about climate. I think our opportunity and our mission is to add to that and say it's not just about climate, but it's also about what sort of rural America do we want to be building for the generations to come. And the choice right now is it can be a rural America that is about consolidation, depopulation, industrial-scale agriculture, or it can be a future that is about small and mid-sized farms proliferating, vibrant communities that engage people from all sorts of cultures and races and backgrounds, and that feed the population of the U.S. and beyond healthy food with integrity. That's a wild-eyed vision, maybe, and it goes against the grain of what we've had over the last few decades. But the change is coming, and we have the opportunity to help shape what that looks like. And I think the folks involved with LSP bring them together. I think they're going to have a powerful vision that we can get behind and help make real. Well, as Wendell Berry once said, I have hope despite evidence to the contrary. <laughs> it sounds like you have hope. And there is evidence supporting that. But, yeah, it's a battle. It's, there's no use kind of... Uh, faking it. We, we've, got a, we've got a battle ahead. and uh, Yeah, it, it's an uphill battle. Yeah, and we know we can make a difference. So you look at the electricity sector over the past 10 or 15 years and what's going to be happening over the 10 or 15 years to come. It is a massive transformation away from fossil fuels and towards renewables. That was not an easy task to undertake. A similar transformation is coming for agriculture around the climate demands. And we can latch onto that and help expand that vision to be one that transforms the agricultural economy in a direction that not only benefits the climate, but benefits rural communities. I'm convinced we can do it. It's not going to be a short piece of work, but it's going to be an intense piece of work. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I feel like LSP's members, its board members, its staff, they have a lot of energy. They have a lot of, I don't know, pent-up positive vision for what the world could look like. Mm -hmm. And they've been, we've been working on it in a powerful way, but 
I feel like we can take a real leap forward. And I feel like the talent and the knowledge and the ideas and the practices exist both within who we are and who we can become to really make our voice heard in a lot of different venues and with a lot of different folks in a new way, in a powerful way that will build a better world. So just no use uh, glossing over it. We've had a lot of turmoil in as far as turn related to turnover in leadership positions in the last couple of years what has kept us i and i don't want to again be too pie in the sky about this but i really see this what has kept us kind of with that solid foundation is the membership if we didn't have that membership i don't know if a group like us would have survived something like this. But we have that membership that has that positive energy you're talking about. And they're like, okay, let's get through this so we can get on with getting those positive things uh, uh, pushed forward in, in society. Because we got a lot of ideas and we, we don't have time to, you know, kind of just feel sorry for ourselves a little bit. So that's at least one part that I see coming out. I'm just so thankful to have that membership. And again, I don't want to sound too... I don't want to romanticize it too much, but they just, they, they're coming with these ideas and they really see us as a way to advance those ideas. Well, in the conversations I've had up till now, it's been so fascinating to see that combination of wisdom from elders, I'll just say, within yeah. Land Stewardship Project, who've been doing this work for decades who continue to have just the passion and the desire to keep building on past victories, to keep pushing things forward. And at the same time, conversations with folks who aren't elders, who are new to the work, or bringing a different perspective. And the excitement and energy they see about LSP as an organization that really wants to lift up their voices in the conversation and the dialogue. And the third piece I got to add to that is I'm just so loving the staff that work in LSP. It's a younger staff than it had been a few years back. They've got so much passion and enthusiasm and so much of a heartfelt connection to our membership. A real desire to embody the ideas and the vision of the farmers that are have been a part of LSP and are joining LSP today. I think there's great things ahead and um, I'm excited to be here and be a part of it. For more information on the various areas the Land Stewardship Project works in, See the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 319 at landstewardshipproject.org. There you'll also find a link to our most recent long-range plan. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Streetship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 